everyone. My name is Catherine Gorley, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today for another episode of the Injury Prevention Academy, a podcast brought to you by Dorn Companies, the, company, the country's leading wellness-based pain management and injury prevention company. Dorn is committed to reducing costs of healthcare and workers' compensation, as well as reducing lost productivity, which has resulted in over $120 million in savings over the last 20 years for our clients. Joining us today is Jeff Smagich. Uh, Jeff has spent the last 30 years in ergonomics risk consulting, helping more than 90% of the global Fortune 1000 companies develop, deploy, integrate, and manage effective and sustainable ergonomics and lean processes. He leverages his vast engineering and ergonomics skill set with clients to deploy strategic partnerships that routinely deliver a reduction in injuries with a substantial financial impact. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for joining us uh, today. I think learning more about your expertise in the field, or field of ergonomics and, and really seeing what, what you feel is the future of ergonomics, I think is really exciting. Well, I appreciate the invitation to be on this, um, this podcast. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Now, one of the most common workplace injuries affecting workers today is musculoskeletal disorders or MSDs. And, you know, these usually present themselves as tendinitis, back strains and sprains and carpal tunnel syndrome, and which can affect nearly a quarter of the world's population. And it's also the leading cause of worker disability, early retirement, and limitations to gainful employment, according to the National Safety Council. So what are the most, or at least what are some common mistakes companies make when it comes to ergonomic assessments and programs to avoid these risks? It's a great question. It's, it's a really great question. I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, um, my, I'm one of many perspectives, but I definitely, um, you know, hope that mine resonates with this, this audience. Um, First and foremost is that some of the mistakes companies make regarding assessments is they don't have a program. They don't have a program in place. So they don't know if they have a problem, um, how big their problem is, where their problem distributes itself. Um, and until they really kind of do a claims analysis and look at their analytics to really figure out, um, they may just be doing assessments to be activity-based, but not to be very strategic-based. So, so that's one is, and we do see a lot of companies that don't have an ergo program out there. Um, but but let's, let's kind of focus those that do have a program. And, um, you know, a lot of times the program's lacking. Um, it's just lacking is, uh, one is that they, um, they may have gone out there, a very traditional approach is they've trained a lot of people to do assessments, but then they don't know what to do with the assessments. So we have a bunch of world-class assessors but uh, no one knows how to fix anything. So we have this pile, this room, this cloud, this hard drive full of assessments that, uh, that are never really kind of addressed to mitigate risk. We also don't see a lot of programs. There's not a lot of KPIs, a lot of key performance indicators um, or accountability or, or process, uh, let alone. So, so people, they may do assessments, but they're not held accountable to them. It's not part of their KPIs or their, their performance metrics. Um, and really, there's no flow chart that says, okay, once we do an assessment, what's our next step? So, so that, those are real common just kind of starts and stops that we see within organizations. And probably the biggest one we see with assessments is sometimes companies FO. They FO a lot. And uh, that is PG. They fix once. Um, but what they need to do is really, they need to form, F-O-R-M. They need to fix once, repeat many. So sometimes the assessments and the program challenges that they, they, make, they make one change and they, they declare victory, but yet there's a hundred other workstations very similar that don't get the attention um, or the improvement that they need. Okay, and so really forming, so, so in, your, in your opinion, really forming a way to truly utilize the data and compare it to say like worker comp claims and, and the reduction of it once one of those programs or one of those assessments takes place? Absolutely, yeah, well, well synopsized. Okay, because um, I, I think, I, I absolutely agree. I think, 
you know, you, you can do so many assessments, but then what do you do with that data afterwards? How do you improve the work lives of your employees by, by using that data and not so much as a, what are you doing wrong, but what can we do to make it better? Absolutely. You know, there, there's one other perspective here I'll share is sometimes people say, well, let's do assessments, but if we have a great ergonomics program, and sometimes what we figure out is the lack of good engineering creates health and safety problems. So sometimes we're, we're putting the ergonomics program within the safety department and we're out doing assessments trying to figure out what's wrong, but really from a design standpoint, ergonomics needs to be part of the engineering department so that we, they can do a better job of prevention through design, through lean and Six Sigma initiatives to, to mitigate the risk before it ever gets down to the safety level. Right, and, and frequently when we uh, speak to companies across the country, a lot of that also involves the HR. So, so understanding that the HR will understand some of the issues affecting their workers in terms of, you know, especially if you're sitting at a desk, the lower back likes to be, be an issue, the shoulders, the neck, and, and understanding that that could be a really great way to, to speak to what's affecting employees. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, one of the other uh, issues that, that we frequently hear about is those difficulties in bridging that communication of ergonomic risk to that multi-generational workforce. So, mm -hmm. so this includes those different learning demands of employees who've spent years on the job. They know, they know how to do their job. They, they know what works for them, but also creating a, an education plan that goes to the new hires as well in like in orientation trainings. So how do you feel that companies can bridge that gap of those long-term skilled employees with those new hires? Yeah, another great question, Catherine. It, it's interesting. So, you know, first and foremost, kind of stepping back again and in, in my perspective is, you know, people today expect a safe company. There was a recent study done um, by a large Gallup, uh, large Gallup study that said 84% of people that, that join your organization expect a safe company. And so I think kind of inherent in that is that companies need to be more interested in, on implementing not only ergonomic programs, but, but safety programs that's going to affect everyone from the, new, the, new high, the newest, youngest hire to the oldest, most seasoned employee. So that becomes critical is, is if we just do a daily kind of activity of, of continuous improvement, then I, I think it becomes less of an issue regardless if I'm younger or older. But, but to kind of answer the question specifically um, is, you know, in, in my mind, some of the best implementation for older and younger employees is to think about um, the first one is training, you know, formal versus informal training. And as uh, one thing we do know about an aging workforce is that um, we, and I'm putting myself in that category now as I'm getting older, but you know, we tend to prefer uh, more structured training. We like longer training. We like classroom training. And we do know some of the trends and some of the preferences by a younger workforce. They like micro learnings. They like, they like on-demand learning. They want it through their computer. And so I think first and foremost is that we have to understand that there are some different learning styles. And, and because of the different learning styles, we have to look for a variety of media in order to educate them formally and informally. So it could be a small microburst learning, uh, which is a short couple of minute you know, uh, training program on maybe how to adjust their workstation if they're in an office. Uh, it could be how to set up a, a press if they're out in a manufacturing site. But I think that all of these little microburst learnings uh, coming across in different media will begin to play to everyone, not just a, a younger or an older audience. Um, I, I think the other thing too is that um, one thing we just have to consider is as we get older, um, people lose their hearing. And so, so we tend to be less engaged. We tend to pull away more. So we tend to do less social things. So, you know, if you think about kind of a benefit is if we have these micro learnings going right to our phone, I don't have to talk to anyone. I don't have to be part of a bigger group. So we're so we may be actually solving some problems with today's technology to our older workforce. Well, so that may be mm -hmm. that may be kind of a benefit. 
Um, uh, well, and, and, and I can also see those, those microburst trainings being a benefit for everyone to bridge that communication with the, the, the seasoned employees, with the new hires, because obviously the seasoned employees are going to have more experience with different job processes. They can, they can help guide it, you know, new employees through those, through those trainings, uh, but also having every single group within an organization learning the same thing so that it's not just we're singling you out, it's you're part of the, you're part of the community. Well said, part of the community. Yeah, and I think that that, that partnership, which kind of goes to the second level of not just training, but also coaching, on-the-job coaching. You know, definitely whether I'm younger or I'm older, um, having that informal coaching, not only does it really create better just job habits too, but you know, we're also able to give that one-on-one -on -one time to any person, um, regardless of their age, um, and helping them do their job better, safer, easier, and more efficiently. So, so that becomes kind of important, that one-on-one that -on -one mechanism. That works for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but probably my favorite, my favorite activity to really kind of engage the whole collective um, employee base are to do some engagement events, things like Kaizen events. And Kaizen is a, is a Japanese word that means continuous improvement. So these, these are groups that you take teams of five or 10 people um, we, we learn about topics like ergonomics or safety and, and as a group, which is a diverse group of people um, in age and skill set, we go out on the shop floor, we find issues and we fix them. So, so there's a real kind of camaraderie there of working with people that you work with to actually go out there, find issues and fix them. That's great. And, and having that open communication and having that, um, that, that constant improvement, I think will actually keep employees there longer. Because if, you know, building that retention, you're going to have more and more employees truly loyal to a company, I believe. I agree uh, 100%. And um, a lot of people feel that loyalty is lost today. But mm -hmm. I think it's it's on the rebound. Okay. See, and, and that's really great to hear because I think that a lot of that plays into the, the investment that employees, and I'm not talking just like a financial investment, it's more of a, of a mental investment into the work that you're doing. As soon as an employee feels like the management and the supervisors care about what they're doing, they're going to want to do more. Well said, well said. Yeah, yeah. and now... You know, we, we, we speak of the multi-generational uh, workforce. We speak of the, that, that older, you know, older um, employee between say the ages of 45 to 64, kind of that Gen X into the, into the baby boomer um, age range. And I know that that grouping really is a huge part of the modern workforce today. And, and especially with those younger baby boomers, you know, it's the, it's the rising cost of living. It's, you know, people just wanting to work longer and later into life and not retiring so early. Um, but I think that also comes with some disadvantages because you're seeing a lot of that um, chronic pain and fatigue. You're seeing a lot of the, the potential physical injuries if say they're, they're a slightly older um, employee. Uh, than say their their younger colleagues. So, with that physical aspect, I think also comes with some mental health support issues that I think has really become more of a conversation in in today's kind of company world. Um, so, how can ergonomics support employees that way? Great, another great question. You know, first we we've always had mental health issues. Um, it's COVID has been you know. Um, something that's really heightened to us to learn more about um, how to treat it, really kind of how to embed it in a workforce so that we don't, we don't create more mental stress or, or mental health claims. So, so first and foremost, it, it's been around forever. Um, we're just drawing a spotlight on it. Um, recently, the World Health Organization said that, that um, since the pandemic, there's been a 25% global increase in the prevalence of mental stress primarily anxiety and depression worldwide. 
So that's that's pretty significant. Um, we're all experiencing. I'm experiencing. I'm. I'm. You. You may have as well, Catherine. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we definitely the non-work factors is um, COVID has definitely triggered an increase in mental health and mental stress concerns. You know, we we look at our current state today with inflation. Um, you know, people are trying to uh, juggle a discrete income with it, with rising costs. So you know, there's some some issues there. Um, of course, we have the, the social media aspect, which is always putting um, stress and strain on, on us. Do people like us? Do they not like us? Um, but also, too, is there was, a, there was an article that came out a couple of years ago in the USA Today that zip code is a big determinant of medical claims and therefore some of the ergonomic claims, uh, physical and, and cognitive. So what we tend to find is there's more mental health issues and lower income zip codes. So, so we do have a lot of non-work factors of, of, about the connection with ergonomics and the rise in mental health, absolutely. But, but from the work condition is, um, you know, every industry um, has had some stress. I think that'd be a fair statement, whether I'm a healthcare worker and I've suddenly now have a, I have a hospital full of people I wasn't expecting and how contagious are they to a truck driver uh, the truck driver now, I have to drive longer hours, more days per week to help the supply chain to a small business owner that's contemplating, I, I can't open, therefore I might have to close my doors or, you know, work with less people. So, so I think that, you know, there, there's that stress there as well. And the physical does manifest itself in the mental, the mental manifests itself in the physical. Um, so I definitely think that, you know, they're correlated, um, one position I'd like to take real quickly, Catherine, is as an engineer, one thing I understand is we talk about product design, we talk about process design. So regardless of any industry, all industries have a product. If you're McDonald's, it, it's your burger. If you're Boeing, it's an airplane. If it's, if it's Procter & Gamble, it might be diapers. But, but when we look at that is if companies have um, great ergonomics and great engineering, and we have good product design, um, so it's simpler to, to put together, it's easier, um, it's faster to do. Or if we have a good process, if we actually set up our, our manufacturing or our, our delivery process, if we're in healthcare, um, mm-hmm. to be simpler and easier, then guess what? We tend to see a reduction, not only the physical claims, but we tend to see less mental stress claims as well. So, so there, is a, there is a strong correlation between the two that I think we as ergonomists can definitely affect. Yeah, and, and, and I really love your, your approach to, you know, it doesn't matter what, what work that you are doing, every single person in the world is going to have some level of stress. It's going to affect something that they're doing, whether it's work, whether it's from, from personal circumstances, whether it is work circumstances, especially during COVID where it was, okay, get it done as quickly as possible, you know, but then the added stress of the pandemic, you know, uh, it's, it's all going to affect everything that you do. It's going to affect you on a mental level. It's going to affect the way you even react to certain things, especially in those high risk uh, job duties. If, if you have your mind on, on kind of the stress of something on the, on the actual, hey, could something go wrong? It's going to affect your reaction time. It's going to affect how you feel mentally, but also how you react physically. Absolutely. And and it's interesting too, because, you know, we know that a little bit of stress is a good thing. It's a motivator. It's a focus agent. Um, A little bit of stress is great, but, you know, early pandemic people, you know, life is hard enough, um, but then they stressed about keeping their jobs if their company is going to stay afloat or, too much stress because they were being asked to do more than they've ever had. But now it's a, it's a different kind of mental stress we're seeing is um, with inflation and recessionary fears globally that, you know, once again, am I going to keep my job? Are they, is my company going to close their doors? Um, and so um, it's just trying to figure out how we, how we continue to work with, with folks. Um, yeah. One of the best things, uh, one thing I do, just one quick thing, um, because I manage a group of folks, um, you know, I have daily phone calls uh, with someone on my team every day. Um, We have every two weeks, we have phone calls with the group. And, 
you know, it's a very open conversation that we have with everyone, which is really nice. Yeah, so. and 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 that's that part of building that community of building that that workplace, but also that safety culture of, of having those check ins. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And do you find that for ergonomics, uh, for whether it's physical or mental health support, do you see that really increasing over the next, say, five to 10 years or kind of keeping at a steady plane? Um, yes. Yes is the answer. I don't know. Um, I, I can't predict. But one th what I do know is that we've done a really good job as ergonomists to fix the physical workplace. Um, so I think we've done a really good job. I think our next frontier is to think more in terms of systems and mental stress, how we help the cognitive side of the equation. So I definitely think that that will be a bigger focus for ergonomists in the coming years. And you can see it almost kind of building into the that working assessment, you know, the, the, the ones that truly they they generate the data and then follow through on this is how the program will go of, of building in that support. Yes. Yeah. And there's a company I just came across, Catherine, that um, they, they scientifically, they can send out a couple of emojis um, on, a, on a little slider. And you kind of rate if you're happy, if you're a smiley face or a sad face. And going through a couple of these questions, they're able to then understand where your current anxiety, stress and depression levels are at. If you take that within a community of people, maybe your department or whole company, now they can start to see kind of hot spots and trends of where where they maybe need to go in and provide some uh, some counseling, maybe uh, you know plan an event, do a risk assessment for ergonomics because of the job. So I think um, you know there are some new tools out there that I'm pretty excited about um, companies looking at and using. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that is so important. I mean, I'm I'm working from home. I've worked for. Um, um, from home since uh, 2021, actually. Um, but with so much of the workforce still working from home today, I think that those kind of assessments and those kind of check-ins are gonna be so crucial to keeping that community. Yeah. You know? And now, why, why do you think that, that that role of ergonomics is so important when you're looking at those kind of flexible working hybrid, you know, remote in office programs? You know, another good question. So it, it's, um, you know, you know, we're still learning, we're still learning, we're getting smarter, but, um, you know, one thing when you talk about hybrid, um, just so I, I'm sure everyone understands, but hybrid is where we're spending time in both an office and a remote location. But remote always isn't your home office. It could be Starbucks. It could be um, the local chair on your bar um, down the road. So, so when we think hybrid, it's, it's you're working in multi-places. And multi-places, we're finding that um, 60 to, to approximately 73%, depending on the studies you read, um, people are in a hybrid work situation. So that is our majority there. And so ergonomics becomes really important. Um, some things that insurance companies, and I, I work for an insurance broker called Marsh, but, but some things insurance companies have found since the start of the pandemic is actually a, a reduction in claims over the past few years. So people working in, in more of a, of a white collar and office type setting, um, we've actually seen a reduction in claims. So they, they, they think that everything's great. But what we're showing is that now it's not one work area, you're now managing two work areas back at the office and back at your, your non-office workspace. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're also seeing is we're starting to see an increase in discomfort of about 40% um, to people, primarily in, in, in the back, the shoulders, and the hands. Research is indicating that we'll probably see a 10 to 16% increase in MSDs over the next 12 to 18 months. So, so some of the indicators out there, more people working at home, we have a bigger workspace, two workspaces now to manage. We're starting to see some indicators that yes, we might start having problems. Um, but, but the reason I say that is if we combine those two, mental stress is on the rise, as, as Catherine, we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Alcohol consumption is up since the start of the pandemic. Wellness is down. Isolation and sleep have been affected. So you take all these factors. And um, so really what I say is that companies that engage in ergonomics is one is um, 
it, it's definitely important for them to conduct to conduct an assessment and provide some education. Um, and, and this is kind of a, you know, can help both office and non-office environments. What we found, what the research is showing us is that, hey, guess what? If we, if we provide you some basic education, some awareness about ergonomics, um, that you can, 80% of what you take away from it, you'll be able to solve your own problems. So what we're finding in the office and non-office workspace, it's not, it's not what you don't have. People typically have good equipment, good, good chairs, good furniture. They have good space. They just don't know how to use it. So in a majority of the cases, good education, people can be self-initiators. They can go fix their own problem. 16% um, we found that 16% of the, the remainder there, um, all they need are simple fixes. So if we do assessments, we give education, um, it's gonna be something kind of small and simple. And then we find that only 4% of all cases actually need something significant like an accommodation, like a sit-stand desk. So I think that the approach of ergonomics, um, rolling it out to the hybrid workstations, starting with education can go a long way. Yeah, and I think uh, that, that education of those small fixes, um, understanding that those small fixes today will affect you long-term. Because I think a lot of people are afraid of or I guess unsure of how to positively impact their workstations long-term because they're thinking, okay, well, what can I do today? But I think it's that same, that same mindset of perfect. Let's see what we can do today. And that is going to help you 10 months down the road because without it, that's sitting on your couch the way that a lot of people were starting to do in like 2020 of absolutely, I can work my living room. This is great. Guilty. But yeah, exactly. Um, of you know what, those small kind of changes and learning to work with, um, or actually creating a workspace for yourself is going to benefit long term. Absolutely, and you know, it, you said something too. It's the small things we do. I mean, we often joke that ergonomics is a war of inches, and it really is. It's an inch here, it's an inch there, it's a centimeter here, a centimeter there. But small but subtle changes does make the difference between being pain-free and, and comfortable and injury-free than, than becoming a statistic. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in your experience, um, what else could make or break that in, in that company's uh, safety culture, especially when, when you're trying to communicate those short-term and those long-term risks? Great question. Uh, you know, one is, um, is there's a lot of companies that have been offering stipends um, or go buy what you want. We'll pay for it, Catherine. So you're at home, just get what you need. Um, there's a little bit of a risk in that. So one thing I would say that will, could make or break a company's safety culture is be open, but not that open. Um, because it's, it's important that we want to support what you need at home, but people are buying a lot of things that may be unnecessary in good education, they might already have what they need. They just need the education on how to use it, how to adjust their chair. They don't need a new chair. And, and what, what we found too, is that if you give someone a thousand dollars to go spend on a home office, um, they'll buy the hundred dollar office depot chair and they'll take their family out for a really nice $900 dinner. So, so we, we do have a misplacement there. So definitely, I think some things that will make or break the culture is a company has to be helpful. They have to be engaging and they have to support um, this remote work culture, but they have to do it in a way that is smart. Um, you know, they have to have some boundaries. That's why I think the education and assessment is important and also tracking of the, of what people buy um, so that they can kind of see what kind of trends and spends are happening over time. So that's yeah. one thing. Um, yeah. And, and I think that understanding, like, you know, you mentioned, um, that 4% needing potentially like, you know, one of those standing desks, standing desks or something like that. Um, but, you know, some people don't understand standing for say those seven to nine hours every single day, you actually need something to be standing on you because 
because to stand on say a wooden floor for that long it starts to create a whole other suite of problems that you know you you possibly weren't foreseeing when you said oh yeah absolutely let's get a stand desk you know well said well said and, and it goes back to that war of inches because it doesn't seem like a big deal to stand but having something to stand on becomes that that kind of important factor absolutely and you know, I think, I think there's other things, you know, when you think about safety cultures too, it's like, um, you know, action, um, put your money where your mouth is, you know, companies say a lot, but they have to stand behind it and follow through. Um, I think that's important. You know, we talk about engagement too. Um, companies need to have clearly defined expectations. Um, often companies have like golden rules of safety. You know, it's, I know exactly what's expected of me from a safety perspective or ergonomics. Um, you know, it's, it's very understood that once a year I go through a refresher training, whatever it might be, but there has to be some clearly defined expectations um, that, the, that I, as a company, am going to give to the employee, but at the same time, expectations that the employee, you know, is giving back to me, uh, to the company. Um, you know, and of course, I think things like, um, it has to be simple. And we know safety cultures, if it, if it ain't simple, we ain't going to do it. Um, so I think, you know, if we ask people, if they do have a problem with ergonomics, um, if, if it's a burned out, um, or, or if it's a light, uh, a footrest they need, let them get a footrest. Um, it may be temporary where they, they get a couple of three inch ring binders and use it as a temporary footrest, but you know, the company has to make it available and to make it easily available. Um, because if it's difficult, I'm just not going to do it. So, so those are just kind of some overarching themes. Have be action oriented. Have great engagement. Make it easy. Make it simple. Um, have great follow through. Yeah, and and the the overall field of ergonomics, as you know, has so many benefits. You know, overall, it's going to reduce costs. It's going to increase productivity for employees. But, but it's also going to improve that quality of work. It's going to improve the engagement that they have with the company, uh, but also the, their engagement with the field of ergonomics. Uh, so, so what are some other benefits uh, that you found um, can, can really be driven when a company has those strong ergonomic programs in place? Um, God, you're full of great questions there. <laughs> that, that is a great question. You know, kind of as I mentioned earlier about, um, you know, you, you want to be an employer of choice. People expect a safe company and people talk. Um, people are very candid. So to become an employer of choice, um, you know, whether through all the social media and your friend network is people expect a safe workplace. So uh, that's a benefit of having a strong ergonomics program in place is people see you as a safer company and, and they want to work for a safer company. So that's, that's a huge benefit. Um, you mentioned productivity, but productivity is interesting because um, definitely ergonomics delivers um, more productivity or efficiency. What's happening in a lot of companies too, is that they might be able to get efficiency where they can do something faster, but they can't necessarily make more parts per day, more widgets per day, or more cars per day. True. But what they can do is that they give the time back to their employees. So it's additional rest breaks. They give them time to do stretch and flex programs. They give them time to do more safe motion dynamics training. So they give that time back to the employee in a value added way, um, in, in a kind of a wellness way, which is nice. Um, the average, uh, I'll, I'll ask you a question here just to put you on the spot. Yeah. Um, but um, every company has turnover too. If we have a good ergonomics program, um, you'll have typically less turnover. Mm -hmm. What is the national average for employee turnover? What percent? Ooh. You know, it for from from some of the companies that that I've spoken to in this past year, uh, it almost depends on the on the field, say in say in those high risk um, occupations like in manufacturing and distribution, more so often in supply chain, um, I'd, I'd almost hazard to guess it's about 50 to 55%. Catherine, you are spot on. It's 57% is the national average for turnover. I have one client that's 300% and I have some clients that are 10%. But, but you know, I find that interesting. So if we, if we have to um, have 57% turnover, 
that just goes to show if you have a great ergonomics program, great safety program, great culture, you know, you're tending to retain more of those folks. And when we retain them, we have better knowledge as well. And we have better just general efficiency of the process. So th those were some, something. One other thing I'll throw out just real quickly is mm -hmm. definitely um, when you have a longer term workforce, you tend to have better um, engagement, which helps with robust problem solving and innovation. So, you know, definitely the longer we have employees at our company, uh, we tend to get better ideas. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting to see kind of those trends progress, right, yeah. in terms of, you know, first it was, we have lots of employees that, you know, we're trying to fill the, you know, the, that supply and demand, you know, pro, you know, production is ramping up, but then when it comes down, okay, how can you still engage those employees by, by keeping them doing what, you know, their, their job requires them to do, uh, but also having them, like you said, fully engaged into the company, into the processes, uh, but also into the ergonomics of, of safety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some of those common reasons behind ergonomic, say, injuries? Uh, is, it, is it something that truly fluctuates with, say, productivity? Or does it tend to be kind of overarching kind of fields? I wrote a paper in January of, of this year, and we looked at the past 20 years of OSHA claims and the ergonomics percentage. Every year has been consistently approximately 36% of every non-fatal safety claim is ergo related. And it's been that way. So you start looking about what are some of the common reasons about behind ergonomic injuries today? I, I think they're the same reasons that they, we've had the same 36% over the past 20 years. I think one is there's just, there's the lack of programs um, in, in organizations. They don't know what they don't know. Catherine. So they've never really engaged with ergonomics. They, they've never really considered it as a problem. And, and it could be ignorance. They just don't understand. But it's not, it's not for nefarious reasons. Um, they just don't know what they don't know. Um, there's companies that um, definitely, I think, have a lot of high exposure, a lot of high exposure to awkward posture, postures, forces, and frequencies. And I think some of those companies, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to mitigate risk. Um, they know they have a problem, but they don't know what's better. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity there. Um, it either A, isn't supported internally, um, like, like we talked about earlier, or B, they just literally don't know how to fix it. Um, we've, we've been in that situation a lot of times. If you think about, um, let's say, for example, you're, um, you're a flight attendant, you're 30,000 feet in the air, and you're being asked to put bags up up into the overhead bin, you know, make it more ergonomic. Um, it's, it's a difficult problem based on the nature of the job, but I think that we just have to have that, that persistence. We have to have that daily continuous improvement in every environment to help kind of drive down some of the ergo injuries. Well, so. and it's interesting that you said that the, um, that it's staying pretty consistent at that 36%, especially when I know that the field of ergonomics has changed so much over the last 20 to 30 years with, with advancements in the kind of, say, like office setups that, that people have, uh, but also a lot of companies starting to really look at the machinery that their employees are using in an ergonomic way. So is, is that almost being balanced still at that 36%? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we've solved one problem and created, created another. Like, for example, we had people maybe working off the floor to, to assemble, to do some assembly work in a manufacturing facility. Well, now we've got off the floor, but instead of them doing one every 10 minutes, they do, they do 10 every 10 minutes. So, we've, so we may have improved the posture, but we've maybe even increased the force or the frequency of which they're doing it. Um, or we may have created a whole different situation with, um, you know, the assembly was simple and easy, but now I have to do it within four minutes. So now it, it puts that additional stress and strain on the body. Okay. 
Okay. So, so, so you're really seeing where it's, it's really great that say like 30 years ago, we started making all these advancements, but now we've really introduced a whole new suite of problems. Yeah. And I think it just becomes, it becomes a real mindful um, ergonomist to go out into a facility and um, to really kind of look, because I think the problems in some cases are very obvious, but in, other, in others, it's not. It's, it's more challenging because there's certain nuances to the job that really make it kind of unique on how are we going to reduce risk to an acceptable level. Okay. Um, one thing I, I really love about that is are things like wearables. Um, you know, we've really engaged heavily in the use of wearables and um, uh, AI type devices, um, artificial intelligence. We've done things like machine learning and using things like predictive analytics. There's, there's so many great tools out there today that have been very helpful um, to give us greater insight into really how bad a problem is. Things like wearables, people can have on them, have on their body all day long. So we can see exactly where and how much they're bending or reaching or twisting. And so there's definitely an advancement in the field, which is giving us richer data. And as we get the data, we're able to put it back in. We have large data sets um, of previous claims from the insurance world and um, risk assessment data we've been gathering. So now we can almost look to say, you know, predictively, what are the typical risks in this environment and some of the some of the follow through claims that may occur. So we're really getting smarter, I think, overall at at embracing um, it's coming at us in a fire hose. So it's really it's really tough, Catherine, because yeah. there's a there's a lot of great things out there now that, um, you know, you could pick and choose a dozen new things. Right now. And, and, and you mentioned wearable tech technology, um, obviously it gains insight in, as to how some of the strains are taking place, especially for those, those high-risk injuries, like with the back, like with the shoulders. Um, but do you find that it's casting light onto previous unknown um, kind, of, kind of strains or, or previous unknown kind of danger zones? It is, it is, because I, I don't think, uh, I think there's a general assumption you know, you bring your own kind of um, your own uh, education and intelligence with you. And you look, someone say, well, that doesn't look like a bad job. But then when we start putting wearables on folks or we put different devices and we realize that, well, there is because in the, within the nuance of the job, we didn't realize he or she was, was twisting as much or for as many times per shift. So it really is, it's a great device, um, wearables, and we're able to take that data because it's, it's immediate feedback we can share with the, the employees, and then we can actually do corrective actions right there through behaviors, or it may tell us that, you know, we, we really have an engineering shortcoming, so now we need to go engage engineers to uh, improve the workplace. So it, it really has shed a lot of light to your question. Um, on either things we didn't know were a problem or we didn't know how bad they were. Well, and I think when, when people think of those high-risk occupations, they, they think of one of, of workers who are, say, like in man manufacturing or supply chain or, you know, th those typical, those typical, um, typical fields. But mm -hmm. if you even look, you know, I know for, I think, a lot of different people's first introduction to ergonomics is if they're sitting at a desk. And I think maybe forming a more complete understanding of the risks that office workers have, you know, for, for injuries, because they don't realize, well, the file cabinet's over here. So I have to twist in a kind of awkward way if I'm still sitting at the desk or just sitting in that prone position, you're seeing a lot of spinal injuries, um, you know, spinal strains that just gradually build up as opposed to those high risk um, occupations where it can just happen so much more quickly. Agree, agree. In, in every, I think every, uh, every industry, I think could really benefit from wearables, uh, office and non-office. We, we, we've been using them on food workers and uh, airlines and uh, restaurants um, everywhere because yeah, it's really interesting to uncover some of that hidden data. 
Yeah, and 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 we're and we're seeing more and more companies kind of interested in wearable technology because of the insights that it can provide. Yeah, in, in the other, in Catherine, just to add on to that a little bit more is um, the wearables today are not the wearables we had yesterday. Um, the right. wearables yesterday could measure, for example, the the generation one is they could measure people backbending, and then they added back twisting. Well, now they have 15 or 20 different capture devices within them. So they can, they can look at reaches, they can look at um, your position in a, main, in a facility. So, you know, if you go to a place you shouldn't be, um, it can do COVID tracing, it can do, so there's so many things it can do today, these wearables that I think it's only left up to their imagination as to what we'll see coming up. That's great, because I know that um, in um, early June of 2022, the National Safety Council, along with Amazon and other top kind of industry uh, companies, they pledged to reduce workplace injuries by 25% within the next few years. Um, how do some of the other tech solutions in, in today's world of safety um, play into that? And, and how, how can companies truly implement that? Great, another great question. Uh, yes, and it was a, it was a billion dollar kind of um, pledge they did, and you know it's uh, I'll, I'll have to do one quick call out. Module, which is a, a major wearables company, mm -hmm. um, they were the major partner with with Amazon on the wearable, but um, that's definitely a company that's very innovative, and they're pushing the envelope on what wearables can do and and what is the next generation of wearables look like. So, so that'll be exciting and. You know, the solutions to other companies, like I said, AI and machine learning, um, predictive analytics, um, you know, that's some innovation that definitely we're going to see going forward. But but let's go back real quickly to grassroots, too, is that we have to make sure that that ergonomics has a good seat or partnership with operations or engineering so that we don't have to go back and fix what's already broken. We can prevent it from being broken to begin with. Um, we need to have the, re the support of, of uh, our fin financial support and commitment from our C-suite. So we have to have executives at companies that understand ergonomics and, and the cost uh, that, that's occurring to their organization. Um, in, you know, on a national average, you know, roughly 36% of all claims and about half of all incurred costs are ergo-related. So that's a, that's a sizable amount of money to an organization that's trying to, to um, um, make product or sell a service. And, and the other thing is we, we just have to go back to Ergo Solutions is we have to do a better job too of making sure we, we treat ergonomics like any other business initiative in our company. So there's a high tech aspect and then there's the basic step blocking and tackling we've always done. We, gotta, we have to keep doing and do better. Yeah, and I think, you know, as we've discussed earlier of having employees know the benefits of it, you know, having that open communication between management as to why it's so important, um, how it's going to help um, people in the long run, whether you're sitting at a desk, whether you're out on, on a production floor, and how that wellness or well-being is going to carry over into your private life, because it's all related, you know, people just don't stop immediately at the end of the day and then nothing ever affects them until they come back to work. It's, it's how does that going to affect your overall life? Yeah. Yeah. Now in, in closing, why, and I know this is a kind of a, a, a large question as well, but um, why, why is ergonomics so worth the investment for companies just across the U.S.? You know, it's uh, the simplest reason is it's the right thing to do. You should allow people to go home in the same condition they arrived. Um, but the challenge is that we have to help executives um, by their morality. Um, and so we do that through cost benefit equations. And so, yeah, it's worth it. And just to tell you how much it is worth it, it, it does help in all the things, Catherine, you've said in terms of uh, reducing claims and costs. It helps improve production efficiency. It helps drive down quality and reduce turnover and improve morale and all those benefits. But, you know, we do actually have a number though. 
we know that um, for every dollar that's invested in an ergonomics program, and this is different, this is different research papers, so I have to give you a range. Yeah. So for every dollar we invest, we get back from an ergonomics program $2.80 to $5.50. So on average, it's it's four bucks. So for every dollar that a company invests um, in ergonomics, we'll receive $4 in benefit on average back. So if we think of it that way, um, absolutely, it makes sense to go out and get people great chairs and the education, how to adjust them, make sure that they're, you know, they've got great workstations and great process and flow uh, in everything and anything they do. So it's, it's, it's a, it's for every dollar we invest, we get $4 on average back as a, as a return. Right. But, but as you said um, before, it, it really is about looking after the well-being of your employees because a company I think is your employees, you know, the, the, these are the people who are going to move your company forward, but these are the people who could also draw in new employees. You know, they, they, they could further that, that safety culture and that wellness culture into the future for a company. So I, I know that, that ergonomics is such an integral part, or at least should be an integral part of, of a company's almost just mission statement. Absolutely. You know, we always talk about how people are our most important asset. They're the most important to us. And if you think about in the, in the construct of lean manufacturing or lean production, they talk about what are called linchpins. And linchpins are vital to a system. And they, they talk about how people are the linchpin in the system. Without people, productivity doesn't happen. So if we think about it that way, is um, really nothing happens in our companies without people. So it, it just makes sense to, to take care of everything from their comfort, um, using great safety and ergonomics to protect them and to prevent claims in the future. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for joining me today. And, 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 and thank you so much for, for joining uh, this, this Injury Prevention Academy podcast. Um, these, these insights I think are just, are just great. And I think that, that people listening will be able to truly see those benefits of, of ergonomics, but really start to form their own plans as to how to, to implement those at their own companies. Well, I appreciate the, the opportunity here, Catherine. And uh, if there, anyone has any follow-up questions, um, please share my contact info and I'd be happy to, to respond to them. Mm -hmm.